We kick off hour number two of the program. It's brought to you by the Knoxville TVA Employees Credit Union. Check them out online at tvacreditunion.com. Locations all over East Tennessee. Just open up the new one over there off uh, North Shore Town Center. It's the official credit union three and out because they've been our sponsor for many, many years. And their customer service is unmatched. Anything a bank can do, they've got you covered. Check out their website at tvacreditunion.com. They've got great app banking as well. So become a member. Tell me you heard about them right here on Fan Run Radio. Not a lot of huge games in college basketball uh, tomorrow. I mean, uh, we're the second or third biggest game, I would argue. Kind of like that it's early. One o'clock, CBS, Tennessee at Rupp Arena. We won't get a line until tomorrow, but uh, what do you think it'll be? Balls five and a half. I'm going to say like six and a half, seven and a half. They're usually within a point or two of Ken Palm, which has the score as 69-65. So, so four and a half. Four and a half, five, probably. All right. All right. Uh, I'm on Kentucky's page. It says they have a 36% chance to win. I was looking at their their metrics. Uh, Shibway, the major contributor, 6'9", 260-pound senior. We all know about him. Great on the boards. Uh, been very spotty this year uh, with his scoring. Yes, he has. Uh, does not shoot threes at all. I mean, he's taken two all season, missed them both. Yeah, he took one against Mississippi State. It was an air ball. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know what you're going to get with him. Been in the league a long time. And then, like I mentioned, I mean, they've had some of these other guys for a minute. Um, they do have Casey Wallace. He's a freshman, six foot four, one ninety three. He's the next guy, just in the percent of possessions used. And then. Uh, Toppin, 6'9", 205. Reeves, 6'5", 205. Wheeler, 5'9", 180. It's been, they've been better without him. I knew he was little. I didn't realize he was 5'9". Yeah. Uh, Frederick, 6'3", 185. He's the shooter. And then they roll some other big bodies at you, too. Uh, like Damian Collins, 6'9", 210, sophomore. But the depth chart over the last five games, most popular lineup for them is Wallace at the point, freshman, uh, Reeves at the two-guard, Livingston actually playing small forward, Toppin and Shibuya, your bigs. Livingston's a six-foot-six, 220-pound freshman. What does what what a loss do to your mindset tomorrow? Um, well, we said... You specifically, like, are you going to be just confused, upset? Stunned, not stunned, disappointed. Um, I, I think if we lose, I'll just. I mean, we're just. We'll, Obviously, it depends on how the game we'll goes. Just, what we're happens? We're just inconsistent. Yeah, if we lose, yeah. you know, we're just inconsistent. And when you struggle on offense, that can happen. So, but I mean, I, I can't remember how I laid it. I think I said if you could just go two and one. In these three games, Alabama, Kentucky, and then A and M on the road mm-hmm. Tuesday. If you mm-hmm. could go two and one in that three game stretch, it'd be that'd be fine. It'd be okay. So if you lose to Kentucky, but then you win Tuesday, I think that I, I think while I'd be really disappointed this weekend, I think ultimately that won't really change the outlook on tournament time very much. Maybe to Kentucky's just kind of a bad matchup. Um, but if if 
If the game goes identically to the way it did here, yeah, I'm going to probably just chalk it up to that's just a bad matchup for us. They, they they defended us really, really well the first time. I thought we defended them really, really well. It's not like they were out there. They didn't Missouri us, right? They didn't sit back and hit 12 threes or 14 or whatever it was. You know, they just... I'd like to go four and one these last five. Three and two be okay. I'd like to go five and oh. But four and one, I think. I think four and one helps anybody look back at that stretch of where you lost three or four and say, well, that was that was just the worst Tennessee can play. They're not normally that team. Moving on, now it's tournament time. Mm-hmm. If you go three and two or two and three, people are going to be like, uh, I don't think this team's as good as it was early, you know, in late January. And they did play one better game. You know, Al- you don't want Alabama to be the anomaly. You want Vanderbilt, Missouri, and Florida to be the anomaly. And those other those two, you could have easily just won them on pure luck. Yeah. So you want that to be the anomaly, and I think they're down the stretch. Like it's going to determine it. You go four and one down the stretch, and people are be back on board. You'll be a two seed, be fine. You'll obviously be a top four in the SEC tournament. So if you're if you get the first round by the SEC tournament, there's not really much you can do to fall on your face. I mean, even if you lose your first game, it's not that embarrassing. And you only need to win one to kind of be. I guess it depends on who it is, but line. then there's always the oh well, they've won two, they're hot, right? Or they were just the better team yeah, that yeah. won. Yeah, no, I'm with you. But as we said, being the two or the three with A and M opposite you and putting Kentucky or yeah, whoever on Bama's side of the bracket would be nice. You can't lose to South Carolina. I don't care if you win the other four. You just can't drop that game. It's at home. Mm-hmm. It's one of the worst SEC teams, you know, ever. Yeah, ever. Uh, so you can't lose that one, and you know the the rest are all your favorite and all. You're gonna be favorite in all of them. So take care of your business, and hopefully they'll have gained a lot of confidence from that. Do you think? Do you think players these days aren't as alpha as they used to be, and they're why they're struggling as being the hunted and being the number one team? And I mean, it used to be for better or for worse. You know, the, no, jo- I, the jocks I, in school were supremely confident all the time, and that's a bad thing in a lot of ways. But sometimes it's a good thing when you're talking about the actual game. I don't want to go all Jurassic Park here, but the reason I think it was different for Grant and Admiral is because they were on bad teams. Like, they earned the entire climb up the top 25. They were picked preseason 12 the year they won the conference. Like, it, they went from nothing to number one in the country. So it was much more of a, we earned this, we have to defend it. And I think, and I'm not saying this is what they're thinking, but it, this team, for the most part, has just kind of always been there. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, they've kind of inherited a, a lot of the program. program. Yeah. And, and what made it great that that Admiral and Bone and Bowden and, and Grant like they they were on you know a team that didn't make the NCAA tournament they were on a team that was no good and then they had to work and then boy did they work I mean we've heard the stories about Rick Barnes Fat Camp like I think it's different when you you know it's it's like building a business or inheriting a business. It's very, very different. 
you know, it's earning your way to the top of a company or your brother hires you to run the top. It's just very, very different. There's a different level of ownership. There's, and, and I'm not saying these guys can't kind of figure it out and play great basketball. I just think it, that it was so personal to Grant and Admiral and those guys because they had to start at the very, very bottom. Mm-hmm. And so far, well, not so far, just the players on this team – they, you know, we were we were good when they got here. Like the program had been established. Now, is that a bad thing? I don't think necessarily, but there does need to, I think, be a little bit more of a like it is your program now. So you do need to take a little, you know, some ownership of it. But I, I think that's why it felt different with Grant and Admiral. It felt very personal to them because they had been in the, you know. The slums of barely going 500, not making the NCAA tournament, losing like your your first game of the SEC tournament. You know, well, why do you think it's happening to other teams though? Like it seems like it's not just a us problem; it's everybody problem. No one can just be the dominant team in college basketball. I have a couple of theories. Well, I don't. I don't think this. I mean, obviously, the, the metrics point that out. This is not the strongest year in college basketball. So that, so that was one of my theories. The teams just aren't as good, so uh, they just can't dominate the way a, a, in a different year. If you had a super highly talented group of guys all on the same team, right? Uh, I think also the the transfer portal. It's harder to get. You know, it, it's pretty rare you can look out there now and be like, man, this th- these guys have been together for four years or three years. It's, oh, yeah, they're really, really good. They added this guy in the portal. and So that would attribute to a lot of inconsistency. Yeah. Even if the team is pretty talented. Mm-hmm. Whereas, again, Grant and Admiral's team, largely, like those were guys that had played three, four years together. And I, I think the days of being able to load up get two or three five stars in a recruiting class, have them come in and be studs and just dominate, and you compete for a national championship like Cal did so many years early on at Kentucky. I think those days are over. You do? Yeah, I do. I look at the top ten right now, too, and there's only there's only two blue teams in the top ten. You mean blue bloods or, like, literally blue teams? Both. Okay. There's UCLA and Kansas. Mm-hmm. And typically – I feel like as I was growing up, when it was number one North Carolina and number two Duke and number three Kansas and mm-hmm. number four Kentucky, like those teams did have more, like the talent was more consolidated. Those teams were more consistent. They stayed ranked higher longer. I mean, the ranking at this point in the season, at week 15, compared to what it was in week one, is probably diff- more different than it has been in lots of seasons. Oh yeah, I mean North Carolina was preseason number one. Yeah, they're are they even receiving votes right now? I doubt it. Nope, they're not even. They've lost what nine they're games on the bubble, aren't they? And I, I, I'm not gonna say I feel sorry for them. I do understand it a little bit more with Duke and North Carolina now. What Davis did last year, getting them to a Final Four, was awesome. They weren't very consistent throughout the year, and yeah. that's two programs that went through. Huge coaching changes. I mean, we're not talking about, oh, yeah, they weren't very good for four years and made a move. You're talking about two legends of the game, you know, deciding to retire and they're trying to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, it's very hard to replace a legend. And I think both of those schools are are figuring that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We'll come back more hour two next. Stick with us right here on 3 and Out. 
Hour two continues live from the White Claw Heart Seltzer Studios, Fan Run Radio. Big Friday edition of the show as we get you set for the weekend. And you can weigh in 865-546-8200. you got baseball tonight, 8 o'clock, MLB Network, MLB.com, as Tennessee takes on Arizona, who's not ranked preseason, but, I mean, that's a pretty good baseball program, so good matchup there. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, basketball tomorrow, 1 o'clock, Rupp Arena, Tennessee, Kentucky. Uh, up next on the Big Orange Philly phone lines, we have Roberto. What's up, Roberto? You're on three and out. Good morning, gentlemen. What a day to be alive and well in East Tennessee. What can I say? Good Friday to you. Um, so, are we more excited about the basketball team or the baseball team right now, gents? Basketball for me. It's just, the, I mean, it's just crunch time. It's just a better point in the year. But some people are excited, more excited about opening day baseball. Nate, are you a baseball guy? Would you consider yourself that? I've always wondered because you, you strike me as football, basketball, power gap, everything else. Maybe tennis, then power gap, everything else. Golf, Tour de France. Uh, curling. Don't forget the curling. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. No, I, 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 I'm coming back around on baseball a little more. I don't know. I mean – as a, as a as a kid it was all Braves all the time and mm-hmm. like watch the game, you know, anytime you were at home on a summer night. But uh mm-hmm. then there was the strike, kinda went away from it. Then I watched a lot of baseball but really didn't have much of a rooting interest. Then it just kinda faded away and didn't didn't even care about baseball at all. Now that my for some reason my kids, even though we didn't really encourage it, ended up playing a lot of softball and baseball both. And they've become big fans, so I'm kind of cycling back, and it's helped a lot that Tennessee baseball has been uh, on the come up now. So I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, Major League Baseball lost me about five years ago when guys started making. I mean, when the word 300 million came out of somebody's mouth, I was like, I'm done. That's where I that's where I draw. 300 million feels like that's where I draw the line. You know, three tenths of a billion dollars is a lot to be making to play a game, and uh, that's where I drew the line. Uh, but Tennessee, like you said, having their comeuppance in baseball. Um, you, know, you guys are just a hair younger than I am, but I remember vividly, like Todd Todd Helton was was belting baseballs at Tennessee when I was in middle school and high school. You know, I remember those days, and these days, guys, are even better. Um, and I don't – it's so funny, guys, and, and, and maybe this is, this is more my the, the question – so, right now, we're in the top ten in every major sport, right? Mm-hmm. In men's, at least. And, really, you could argue right now we're a top five or ten program in every major sport coming into next season. Okay? I, do, our ki- do our kids get it? Hmm. Like, my kids, I, I, we, I came home from the game the other night, and uh, they were already asleep, and I woke up the next morning and woke them up and got them. They go... So uh, how bad did we beat Alabama? <laughs> they didn't even know. And I was like, um, we beat them by nine, but like that wasn't supposed to be a thing necessarily. They're like, uh, yeah, it is. We're Tennessee. And I was like, oh, my gosh, our kids are going to grow up. Our, maybe, just maybe, that we're breaking the cycle of Tennessee uh, batter vol syndrome. My kids walk into every game expecting to win. You know why, guys? My kids have never been to a game that Tennessee's lost in any sport ever. Hmm. And that's not like saying they don't go to games. I mean, they've been to ranked games. They've been to road games against SEC schools, and we've won those games. 
even in the Jeremy Pruitt era. Mm. Remember Auburn? Remember yeah. nobody mm-hmm. wanted to go? Mm-hmm. Well, Berto got it, tickets for like 40 bucks total and drove my ass and my family down there. And we watched that game, and my kids are like, yeah, of course we won. We're supposed to win. That's what we do. And I'm like, oh, I kind of hope my kids don't go through what I've been through for the last 25 years. What about you guys? I don't know, man. I remember being, you know, 9, 10, 11, and it was like you lose one game oh, in ball. football especially. You know, and it's like, oh, how did this happen? We, how did we not go undefeated? <laughs> now, basketball is different. I've – I mean, I remember growing up basketball, we just weren't very good. Then we were pretty good, then we weren't very good again. Then we were okay, then we weren't very good again. This is it, it it's very different now. I mean, with the three major men's sports to be and and basketball was there for, you know, a couple years and then at the start of this year, but like dominant at times. Again against teams that in the recent five to ten years you were not doing well against. And now you're Especially with Tony V and what he's been able to do so quickly, mm-hmm. enjoy it while enjoy it while you can, because nothing good lasts forever. That's what they say. That's right. I mean, we've got we've got legitimately two coaches in three major sports that could go to the next level of their coaching pretty quickly if they want to. You know, and that's kind of awesome and disparaging and gutting all at the same time. But um, back to not being a battered vault, guys. I think we win tomorrow. Uh, I think we. I think Kentucky has their backs against the wall, but I think this Tennessee team has rallied. Um, I, I'm I'm going to own something I said on here the other day. I questioned if Rick Barnes had lost lost the team, and he hasn't. And the way you can tell is they are still out there competing. Not just because they beat Alabama, they competed to get back in that Missouri game, and that's when mm-hmm. my ears perked up. I was like, maybe they're not dead. Maybe they've just been playing really bad and they've been focused on the wrong thing. So I'm going to ask you guys again what I said yesterday. Do you want to win by 10 and play great defense or lose by one and and have exceptional offense in a game? That's where I'm at. I don't care what we look like. Just get freaking wins. Let's go get a two-seed. Let's go earn that two-seed, and let's go and let's make some noise because this team can. And Houston, I think you were – putting this team against the Grant and Admiral team. And, and I like what you said. It's like they felt like they'd earned it. And maybe this team had to fall off the cliff a little bit to come back and feel like they've earned it. This this team has a bunch of fighters. I love that about this team. They're kind of nasty, and I like that. I think Tennessee makes its hay under Rick Barnes when they got guys with a little bit of not a cockiness. I mean, maybe a little cocky, but more of an arrogance about, like, we expect to beat your brains in, and physically we're going to manhandle you. We've got a five foot five point guard that might be the toughest guy in the league. Think about that. Thanks for the call, Berto. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's. I think I think this basketball team under Rick Barnes has always played better with a chip on their shoulder. Well, and and you know we called them front running fake tough guys, and maybe they did need to, some some real wounds well, and, and to. That's to not learn. always like a, that's just who you are forever, but yeah. you know you're having you a lot of success. Up. Things are coming easy, and, and you were doing it against the bottom half of the conference too. So yeah, I, I mean, I, so maybe it was a little bit of a false sense of security, right? You fall yeah. into this. Hey, man, things are pretty easy. We're kind of crushing teams. Oh, we played a. Well, wow, we beat Kansas by 15. Maybe we're really, you know, you still got to put mm-hmm. the work in. You still got to make sure that you're, you know, battling every day to maintain what you've earned. And I think that's a good point. Maybe falling off a little bit was a reality check for this basketball team. Because they came out and, you know, 
even if they had lost that game against Bama, the way they played, like they fought their guts out. And the second half against Missouri, I think that's a really good point by Roberto. I mean, they were down 17 and, you know, should have won that game if not for a crazy, what was it, like a 40-footer floater to, you know, to win. So, yeah, yeah I mean, there's there's something to that. And, and good on Rick Barnes. I, I liked what he said after the Missouri game was, you know, Maybe against Vanderbilt, not so much, but I saw the fight I needed to see in the Missouri game. We just got kind of unlucky. Mm-hmm. We did a lot of that to ourselves. Missouri hit some shots, but this team didn't hang their head and get beat by 30. They battled all the way back, and it took a 40-footer to beat you. Yep. There you go. We'll come back with more. Stick with us right here on 3 and Out. Hour 2 continues on 3 and Out. Friday edition. Pumped up about it. Big weekend. Do we know the baseball like lineup? Like, do we know? We don't know like the batting order and stuff. Wonder when that time that comes out. It sounds like we're going to be doing a few different. Oh yeah. Lineups this okay. weekend. Well, yeah, that's fine. It's early. Well, apparently. Well, I, I mentioned the other Nobody day. Nobody tinkers the rotation. Like, for, for as bad as Rick Barnes as, as, is at developing rotations during the basketball season. I feel like Tony V. I think v. we've settled in a little bit now Tony that we don't v. have as many Tony people v. to play. Yeah. Well, now we've got some guys hurt. I mean, we were so good, though. So, But Tony V is is really good at playing with different lineup combinations so that, you know, later in the year he he knows kind of like one lineup to go for certain aspects and another one to go for here, this one against lefties, this one, you know. Well, and I'm, I'm not using this to, like, take a shot at Tony V, but it is a lot easier in baseball – because you're guaranteed that midweek game where you can get so many extra guys time. Like playing Austin P in basketball though, like we don't use. Well, it. no, but what I'm saying once once you hit conference play in basketball, like hey, it's conference play Which is why we get annoyed. I, 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 I know, I know, I know. Okay. I'm just saying it, it's nice in baseball that you go through a weekend series and maybe you discover a little issue. You can use the Tuesday or Wednesday game to kind of tinker with that a little yeah, bit and play with wooden bats. In a minor kinda, league stadium. Kind of talking lineups here, but yeah. Um, they do have projected starters out tonight. But yeah. It, but they said that pitchers, all right? that or, outfield can change through all. Uh, no, yeah. I, I, I think they're going to have three different outfields I in each game. Uh, the kid from Cincinnati is out the first two. Yeah, games. Griffin Merritt. Griffin it's two? Yeah. It's two. Uh, two. So we get to see him Sunday on and the game. You know this pitcher by now. Yeah, the Chase and Dolan are going to be on the bump tonight. Yeah, so apparently he got thrown out after the game was over in the last game of the season, which, what? And that's why he has to miss it, too. So he was the Cincinnati kid. Denton came from Bama. This kid's from Cincinnati. Of course, we got Ahuna from Kansas. Yeah, when that, I guess when Merritt, as soon as he entered the portal, hearing that story, I guess there was never any doubt where he was going to commit to. If you're getting tossed after the games, come on down to Knoxville. Does seem to fit right in, doesn't he? I mean, that's uh, that's kind of what we do, do here. Do you think the uh, the I know everybody hated the antics last year. Do you think those will be toned down this year? Well, they have to be to a degree. Uh, true. The NCAA will not allow any props onto the field. Now they can still have stuff in the dugout, but if it makes its way to the field, it's a I don't know what what, what do you do in, in baseball? Is it an ejection immediately? Do you get I a don't warning? Know. Yeah, fifteen like yard penalty. Something award the the next team first base. Uh, but yeah, in between innings after a home run, I mean, there's you're, you're not allowed to have any props out on the field, which is 
that's so NCAA it hurts. Like their fastest growing sport, you know, with with the streaming capabilities now and how easy it is to get at least at least a high quality video feed. And with baseball, it's it's fairly easy. I mean, three or four cameras and you can have a really good streamable quality, you know, feed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course the thing and and I I don't know maybe because it was us I loved it and maybe if so many people hadn't said they hated it, it but I mean that it feels like the Tennessee rule for sure I mean other teams did stuff too was it Virginia Tech that had the sledgehammer yeah and they said they they couldn't do that last year even though at that point there were other teams they didn't have a sledgehammer but that had a a hat or a coat or you know I don't know it just seems kind of stupid. Are they gonna just have Zero to like, fun. go to a line where there's a line around the field, like an kind of an out of like a sideline where it's like, you know, it's like two yards off the dugout steps. So like as long as you're behind that line, you can like have stuff, but you can't like, like I guess that's the problem with baseball, right? They struggle with these rules because there's no field of play. You know, like yeah, like the foul it, line is, is too not close. A, it's not inbounds and out of bounds because like you, you can have still, to play there. Like the right, catcher has yeah. to catch a pop yeah, fly say, in foul territory, out of bounds. So you can so have a speak. guy like running up with a with the with the coat, you know, like right along the foul line, yeah, because that doesn't work. So they're trying to basically say, I mean, can you still have those things in the dugout? Like if you are, yeah, that's what I just yeah, said. like behind you can, the fence, you can have right? them in the dugout, yeah. So that's I mean, the rule. It'll still be a thing, I guess. It just won't be as easy to video it, right? Yeah, and it's not. Yeah, you know, it's not going to be the guy tapping home plate, giving some high fives, and then getting to put it on as he walks down into the dugout. So, I, and who knows? Maybe they don't even have a coat this year. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's not the daddy hat. Maybe it's a different hat. Maybe we'll just kind of have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. There's also some other rules, like uh, timing rules. Did they shorten the pitch clock a little you get 30 bit? Thirty second for mound visits. You get- yeah, that. That part is. I think you get two and a half minutes for when the pitcher, like they switch pitchers. I think. Oh, okay. Because that used to be basically until the pitcher was like, "All right, I'm I'm good to go." So now that's two and a half, thirty seconds for a mound visit. That seems quick. I mean, especially if you you're doing it to kind of bring everybody in and talk about the, the plan, like is it thirty pitch clock or batter clock. There's just like both. Uh, that's what I was wondering about the pitch clock. Does the thirty second start once everybody from the infield gets into you, or what? Uh, probably, oh no. probably umps discretion, which will be another right. thing. Oh. I would say when the, probably when he gets to the mound. yeah when, when the, the coach, when the coach steps, like, on, steps the on the dirt, probably the mound. So then like, Tony V will stand in the grass and like not touch the mound. Yeah, yeah. that's a common thing. I mean, we Berto's laughing about curling, but in curling they take a timeout and like. Used to, they had the thing where like the clock wouldn't start until the the coach like got down to that end of the ice. So if he was on the far end, he'd walk really slow, mm-hmm. which would give the the because the team calls its own shots all during the game anyway. So he'd walk super slow, so the team would have a ton of time to talk about it. And then when he got there, then they'd have a minute and a half, and he could tell what he thinks. If he was on the short side, they're like ah oh, crap, it's gonna have to you know we're gonna have to do this quicker. So yeah, the, I can imagine Tony V just Tony V's going to be walking, just inching. strolling, yelling all the things yeah. he can yell, and then when they get to the mound, he'll have thirty seconds. Yeah, you have thirty seconds. Wrap and then up. obviously in league play, if you're up ten runs after seven innings, the game is over. Which that's mm, some some good, some bad there. No need to waste arms if you've got a big lead, but early in the year. All right, here's this is from the Ole Miss twenty four seven site. They got quotes from their coach or whatever. So among the changes. For the Southeastern Conference, um, these are new rules for conference games. I don't know if this is – so I don't 
<laughs> that's a weird thing about excuse me. That's a weird thing about baseball too. You've got conference rules and then NCAA rules. Sometimes they're different. Um, yeah, because a lot of the coaches said, okay, if you want to do this for conference games, that's fine, but we do not want the ten run rule in the midweek, for the midweek because yeah, we've got a lot of guys we're trying to get out there yeah. on the mound and get some pitching and get new catchers in there. So, so there will be a batter's clock. A thirty second timer between hitters shall start at the conclusion of the prior play, as indicated by the umpire's final signal of safe or out or other clear indication that the prior play has concluded. Consistent, uh, so, uh, consistent with the NCAA pitch clock protocols, the batter shall be alert to the pitcher with 10 seconds or more remaining, and the pitcher shall begin the motion to deliver the first pitch of the at-bat prior to the expiration of the 30-second clock. So, essentially, guy hits the ground ball short, throws it over to first base, boom, first base umpire, out. That starts the 30-second clock. That next batter's supposed to be in the box ready to go with 10 seconds on that clock. So you've got 20 seconds from on-deck circle to the box and ready to swing. Yeah, and then essentially, you know, that pitcher's supposed to be delivering the pitch. Am I crazy? Does that that, that seem really fast? 20 seconds? Um, Well, I think on a play like that, it seems a little quick, but I don't – I think – what the umpires will actually do. Let's say it's a really crazy play, mm-hmm. and the umpires have had to rotate around or whatever. I don't think the home plate umpire is going to really start that clock until he's set back behind home plate. Okay. So I think play's over. You probably start walking to the home plate umpire gets back set. Now he's going to be like, okay, yeah. I'm starting to count. And you're basically almost to the box anyway. So 20 sure, seconds sure. when you're yeah. like stepping in and getting ready, I think it's about right. Okay. Yeah, because what pitcher covers first, you know, like stuff like that. Yeah, he's got to get back. I mean, our catcher runs down – they always cover to cover first base. First base. Yeah. I mean, that's that's all. Well, yeah, our no, no, that's what's weird. Our pitcher covers behind. I don't know. I first base, one. right? Yeah. And, and not the catcher. That's yeah, what. Yeah, the outfielders run. Normally, the catcher would cover. That's the old school way. But our pitcher runs because we've had situations where our pitcher almost runs into the runner going to first. He has to slow down and wait for him to pass, and then he jumps over the you know behind him cover and our catcher kind of stays at home which is something I guess Tony V picked up and does differently than the old school way mm-hmm. of the catcher having to run down behind first all the time um, but anyway uh, other stuff uh, there's also a pitching change clock Brett mentioned this um, a two and a half minute timer on a pitching change shall begin when a new pitcher who's entering the game either at the start of an inning or as part of a mid-inning pitching change crosses the warning track so if you want more pitches, hustle in there, I guess. I don't know. In certain tournaments, like when we play fast pitch, like it's a number of pitches. Like you just get like five warm up. That's pitches such a disadvantage for us because our bullpen's way out there in right field, and their bullpen's right there on the third mm. baseline. There you go. <laughs> so I have our projected. We got to adjust that, Danny. Here. Put right, that. Hang on. Put it in the plans. Upon expiration of the clock, the NCAA twenty second pitch clock shall commence, and a mound visit clock, a thirty second timer on a mound visit, shall begin when a coach exits the dugout. Or when a defensive player leaves their position to visit the pitcher's mound, unless so that when the catcher goes to talk to the pitcher, thirty seconds. He only gets thirty seconds. The, s- the second he leaves his position, unless the coach signals for a pitching change, the coach must leave the mound when or before the timer expires. The mound visit clock shall not operate when a doctor, trainer accompanies the coach to evaluate a medical issue. Just take a trainer out there every time. Upon expiration of the thirty-second clock, the twenty-second pitch clock shall commence. These umpires' heads are going to be spinning with all these clocks and. And then you're going to have the guy on the power trip who, like, every time one expires, he's calling ball strike, whatever the penalties are, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you what Mike Bianco said on the flip side and 
Hickman's got a projected lineup. But we're up against it. So final segment, hour two. Back at you next. Mike Bianco of Ole Miss kind of liked the change. He says just there'd be purists that get mad that the game and are fine watching a three and a half hour game, but I think the goal is that the game needs to be faster so people can, you know, just enjoy it more. Um, he didn't really say anything. Did they keep a time log last year? Have you seen know. one of those? I don't know. I mean, I know that's a big thing in Major League Baseball. I was just curious what the average time for a Tennessee game was last year. I will say like. By putting the clocks in, I mean it's it's automatic. It does it does make it automatic. I asked you during the break, like why couldn't they just make it a big point of interest with umpires to just move these games along quicker instead of having to put all these exact things in? But I, I mean I guess if you're the umpire that starts calling a a ball because the mm-hmm. pitcher isn't ready on some arbitrary just like hey let's all try and hustle the game up and if they're not going fast enough call a ball then you just become the umpire that's an ass right yeah so no one wants to do that now it can now it's just there's the clock it hit zero ball one so like, is, it, is it do the umps control that or is that going to be is that going to be an off the field umpire because they've, this, they've this, had that the umps control it the clock is right on the tennessee scoreboard i mean the sure sure not, it hit zero but ball that's one. what i'm wondering like does is it the home plate umpire he just has a little button on his thumb that he pushes I or is that like think controlled the in the clock booth? is controlled by the scoreboard operator, same way a, a shot clock is in basketball, and the ump just reacts to mm-hmm. the clocks. But I don't know about all these other clocks. You know, this year they're adding more, so I don't know. Like, are scoreboards having to add another clock, or I guess maybe they can use the same clock for all these timing because none of these timers are running at the same time, right? Like, when you make the pitching change. But if these clocks were like two digits, are they gonna they're gonna make them? They have to make them three digits, maybe. Did every SEC team have to go to their scoreboard over the off season and add? Well, like, take most down of them are the, digital now, but yeah, yeah. But some of them had like a little extra box, like a literally yeah, like yeah, a the, shot clock yeah, hanging yeah. off the scoreboard. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I guess it could be, it could be all in seconds, or it could be minutes and seconds. So now we have the two and a half minute thing, um, you know. But but no, I. From what I understand, from what I've seen, just going to games when they first put this stuff in, and maybe it's changed over time, but essentially the scoreboard operator started and stopped the clocks, and the umpire just reacts to those clocks. Same way a shot clock is operated in basketball, the the umpire the, the refs aren't stopping and starting it. They're just reacting yeah. to it. If they notice there's a problem with it, then they'll you know just cut the players some slack and say, hey, that – you Because know. well, when, when players are on base, it, there's no clock. Like, that's when – the game slows down anyway. Like, pitchers normally work pretty quickly when no mm-hmm. one's on base. Yeah. Um, but actually, that might have changed. I, when they first put in, when the when their runners on base, there was no clock. I think actually now there is a clock when when players are on base. Because it got to be where no one's on base, pitchers working fast anyway. Somebody gets on base, oh, now the game takes forever. Do they warn the player they're taking too long, or do they just automatically give them, what, like a strike? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember all the well, rules. The pitcher's That's taking what, too long. Here's the ball. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure if it if it, it's zero on the pitch clock, it's ball one. Mm-hmm. Um, There hasn't. I, and Maybe I was, you get one, like, one warning, and after that, if it hits it again, because 
Can the pitcher see the clock? Can it just be a team? Is one? there another one off to the side behind home plate? I don't think so. <laughs> Houston was acting like he was checking the oh, clock. And then oh, dang, one. Throwing a pitch. <laughs> Underhand. <laughs> Golly, I just. I guess you would rely on your catcher at that point. Like there, I guess there needs to be a signal for like, hey, throw it quick, man. We got three seconds or whatever. Dude, we never have a problem. Our pitchers work faster than any no, I know. team yeah. on the planet. I'm just thinking globally, but yeah, our pitchers are ball I mean, ready. How many times was Ben Joyce just give him the batter the desk there, just like, come on, no, let's get go. in the box, let's, let's go. go, I'm let's ready. And then the go. second he's in, he's he's not even swinging the bat up to his shoulder yet. And mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Uh, it'll, it'll, it'll be a thing. I mean, we work quickly, I think. You know, pitching and batting the, typically. The thirty-second stuff, though, that's for all of NCA, right? The mm-hmm. the rule mm-hmm. is only SEC, right? Yeah, I think okay. so. Okay. Yep. And there's new, there's a a lot of other rules in in Major League Baseball too. Um, there's pick, pitch clock there now. Um, mm-hmm. I, I believe they may change that. I don't know. It's it's almost too much to keep up with. Fan side is has five bold predictions. I'll just Tennessee to win the SEC is one of them. All right. And then number one was LSU to win the College World Series. <laughs> so us to win the SEC, but them to win it all. But hmm. why is that? They hate us. Because they hate us. They basically said we have the better pitching, but they have the better hitting. So what's going to win? Uh, all right. Uh, the rules regarding the 20-second action clock with runners on base have been changed. This is 2023 NCAA changes. The clock starts when a pitcher receives the ball and ends when he begins his pitching motion. Prior to this season, pitchers received a warning for their first violation. Subsequent violations resulted in a ball being added to the count. There was no limit on the number of step-offs or fake pickoff throws pitchers could make to reset the clock, and that's where the big difference is. Remember that? That's why they would always, when they step off, They'd fake a throw every time. Like All that was to do was reset the pitch Yeah, clock. just a dummy clock. Yeah, it was stupid. Now, pitchers are allowed just one step off or fake pickoff throw per batter to reset the clock. If a defensive – so if you throw over, you're fine. But if you just step so off – So now instead of the dummy throw, we're just going to like float one over there because the last thing you want to do is throw a heater that goes by and advance the runner. A, ba- a ball is added to the count. Pitcher has the 20-second clock violation. A strike is added if the batter commits a similar infraction by delaying the game. So, yeah, it goes both ways. Umpire can now initiate video replay reviews to determine whether malicious contact is a whole separate rule. Malicious contact or misconduct has occurred. They can also initiate review for catcher's interference. That's probably good. Celebratory props no longer allowed outside the dugout. We talked about that. Coaches cannot enter the dirt circle at home plate. Yada, yada. We'll finish these out. And Hickman's got his lineup next.